Howdy, howdy. Welcome back to I Don't Know. I'm Gabe Garber, your host of this weekly podcast discussing the relationship with doubt and uncertainty and how that plays into creative life and other aspects of life. Up until now, I've kind of just mostly talked to myself. Last episode was the first time I had a friend of mine on to kind of dive into their creative practice, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by another friend of mine from back home, Columbus, Indiana, represent Mike Pence. No, just kidding. It's represent Michael in the... No. <laughs> uh, we're joined with Clay Blackwell. He's a New York-based ceramicist, frame maker, musician, artist. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to list... I'll, I'll stop the list there and give you the opportunity to let us know how you would like us to consider uh, you. Human? Yeah. That, Hugh, that's... Human being? Or... Or am I dancer? Um, yeah, no, that's a wow. Being on a podcast and then trying to describe yourself as an individual it's a dream come true. Drop in the bucket. Forever student, carbon based life form. That's about as fixed on the radar that I can align my very personal individual blip. Yeah, I've had a relationship with creative pursuits ranging from. The things that you mentioned, visual, auditory, expressive arts, I guess you could call them, I guess. I would I would see that as being generous, but hey, we're all trying to figure it out. Hmm. Ain't, ain't that the truth? Ain't it? But yeah, at this point, I would say that's that's pretty much where I'm at. Other than that, yeah, the the I guess the most recent pursuit for me is getting more intimate with the fine art world sort of behind the curtain. My brother runs a custom fine art frame business here in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights, Prospect Heights. Oh, I'll be shamed by my New York friends. I'll be shamed. But what else is new? Uh, Yeah, and I'm a fitter there, which means for everybody. I had no idea what it was, and I went to art school. I handle a lot of artwork, and I frame a lot of artwork and preparing it for most of the exhibitions that we used to be able to all commingle and enjoy together here in this beautiful multifaceted gem known as New York City. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah. I mean among among other things and and being friend being high on that list, I thought it would be fun to chat with you in the context of this podcast, I know some of the stuff I've I've hit on prior to now has focused on the process and like repetitive practices. And I, I, yeah, that that's one thing with you that I've noticed. You know, pretty much since I've known you, is that you're you're very you're very disciplined, or you have the you know the the capability of being very disciplined in whatever that practice may be, whether it's that is more accurate. Yeah, whether it's. <laughs> Whether it's ceramics, whether it's whether it's music, whether it's, you know, latte art or making tea or, you know, producing kombucha at home. Like there's you you have a tendency to go in pretty deep and have a very intimate experience with consistent practice and finding lessons and takeaways there. So maybe that might be a good, you know, good place to start in terms of where do you find where do you find uncertainty and doubt? cropping up in your 
in your work, in your life, in your pursuits? It starts for me around 4.30 a.m. I say that because that's the protocol of wake-up time that I'm on right now. So I have a, I, yeah, I have a very close relationship with uncertainty, especially in terms of the creative process. I think the thing that you were talking about with the discipline is a coping mechanism. It's the, it's the saddle that I have to throw on this, what I would describe as a very anxious energy that I feel is like in my mind, you know, with the whole inner monologue and also just the physical jitters. Uh, it was made known to me very well by a group of people that I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with. They were like, do you ever just like sit in the chair? And I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah. So so for me, yeah, that that's sort of what I've had to cultivate to deal with the uncertainty. I don't know. I feel also like going through my relationship in my family structure growing up has sort of shown me things about how I perceive, you know, relationships with every facet of my life through the lens of being the youngest person in the family in a house of five. So not many, but enough to where I very much internalized or at least projected a sort of pecking order that I had to exist in or find existence in to create traction, you know, or to be heard or those sorts of things. Granted, this is all my, this is all me probably just projecting the reality of what was going on. I mean, who knows what we actually remember, right? Mm, yeah. But yeah. 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 I, I definitely, I can relate to just, I think maybe it's probably less specifics of upbringing, but but just kind of the general culture of spending enough time where we grew up. There's like the, just kind of a, a need or a sense in the air that there's, you kind of have to justify your existence in a way that like, I don't know, or like prove to other people or, or yeah, I don't know. I think that for me just kind of resulted in a, a sense of like, always stay busy, you know, downtime is not necessarily the easiest thing to ask for and take for yourself. So it's it's not mm. something I I was all too familiar with there was just like a a need to kind of always fill my time with something i don't know if that's relatable or well i think it i think it comes from i have the benefit of speaking with you and you know so deeply our hometown that i feel like there's a you know it's a wonderful place i'm not disparaging it by any means but i feel like the consequence found in the Midwest of most social consensus is that there's an overwhelming sense of cynicism over a healthy amount of skepticism. And I think that's because the skepticism ultimately is, for a majority of at least my coming to being in that environment, was in, or at least under the umbrella of Lutheran, Missouri-centered Christianity. So... You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's, you know, maybe, maybe there's a higher dissatisfaction rate or maybe the people I was around or maybe there's like, there's this privileged suburban malaise yeah. that comes with the inherent like keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, making sure that for whatever association that you have to prostrate to for your suburban home, you have to make sure your grass is like a certain height or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it definitely seemed kind of 
monotonous in terms of expectations too so where there was like less Mm. everything kind of seemed prim and proper and neatly kind of in place and that and that also maybe seeped into career trajectory or like yeah Mm. lifestyles and life paths in general of like there's there's a a set list of very clear paths for us to take and straying from that or or questioning that was i don't know maybe created some friction and just wasn't always the most comfortable which i guess is probably you need to have that i guess the the friction helps <laughs> in the creative path but yeah of course but when you're experiencing the oppression from others <laughs> for it you know you're not like oh this is wonderful yes yes well i can i can i ask you a question did did you not experience a lot of that being a creative person? I mean, for me personally, you being older than me and being much further along in a very similar sort of path, if you want to call it that, I was I was watching you being a very, very on the scene in front of everyone, often frequent, creative, expressive person doing something that I think for anyone who hasn't done it, I mean, you can experience it just by doing a karaoke <laughs> in front of yeah. strangers or even worse, your closest friends and family. You know, if you experience social anxiety at all, your your palms will start to sweat when you think about that, you know, yeah. but I guess, I mean, I guess there were always outlets for me. It was kind of more of the, the doubts came for me in terms of, I, I don't know, I was giving guitar lessons in high school. I was part of the Catholic church mm. and we had our, our youth music group that played maybe once a month, I think was the rotation, the the frequency there. But like there was that, there was a little bit of, of like band things in, in the secular realm. We had a few different bands. I think, I mean, one was earlier in high school and that was short lived, but Another one kind of started once I graduated high school, but even then it was, Mm -hmm. it all seemed contained within the like pre-approved areas for that type of activity. And, and I guess my friction always felt more of like, okay, but then after you grow up and mature, then what are you going to do? And I, it never felt like it could be integrated or incorporated into a meaningful or valued life within that culture i guess yeah yeah and so i guess the timing of when we probably first kind of ran into each other i happened to have like already left that culture of columbus a bit and was in bloomington Mm -hmm. and and even some of that stuff just kind of presented itself in ways that i wasn't necessarily aware of it just kind of playing shows in a college town, like the opportunities were much broader than, than I ever imagined. So that was eye opening and I was able to do that. And then, yeah, I think a lot of it just ultimately, I think I fell back on, on jobs that were more flexible and less rigid, less, I guess, future forward thinking or, or secure in that sense. And so prioritizing the, the creative pursuits kind of also I I don't know put me in a position within like the socioeconomic air of of town that kind of set me apart in certain ways Mm. but yeah I'm not sure I I I, like I think I had I've talked about this recently with Kate my girlfriend just about how I definitely never felt like I had a problem standing out especially when I was younger and like doing things that were different or you know marching to the beat of my own drum I guess 
Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until entering into the real world with scare quotes there uh, <laughs> that that it was like, oh, maybe this there's there's a trade off here that, you know, there's maybe more discomfort that I wasn't considering that I need to sit with if I'm if I'm going to keep on this path. And I think eventually I just probably got tired of that and succumbed to it to a certain extent and put creative things on on the back burner more than more than I would have been comfortable with earlier but yeah I'm not sure I yeah you went to IU and studied I don't you kind of hopped around and did a bunch of different things but yeah I did I I went originally for actually the classical vocal performance program yeah, I remember that yeah uh I had a, a very very brief relationship with the music department there not for me incredible school just you know not what i wanted and or maybe needed at that time <laughs> and then i remember at that time you were around i was more active in the music scene individually with other friends of ours from columbus in multiple different groups so then i had the idea that maybe i wanted to go into the recording aspect my <laughs> my naivety in recording was limited to my <laughs> exposure to I I think it was like a 12 track which was no that's probably too much 6 to 12 let's say track boss digitized like replica of a tape loop mm. recording thing so it was like a digital punch in punch out oh yeah 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 and so I was like okay so I started actually talking with people in the program and I was like oh gosh I just I can't even I can't even get my foot in the door because I'm just so behind and know nothing of this. And then I was trying to figure out maybe I wanted to go. I'm, I've always been really interested in like neuroscience. So I went into more like psychology sort of classes and the whole time taking art classes, studio classes, because I was very involved in the 3D art department at Columbus East High School under Jim Ponsford. And he got me, <laughs> good old Jim, and he got me well, mainly just allowed me to sort of do what I preferred doing, which was making ceramic pottery on the pottery wheel for some reason. My brother was doing it at the time, actually, weirdly serendipitously after thinking he was going to be a like a brain surgeon, right? You know, then he failed life and chose the creative pursuit uh, with the rest of us. Threw it all away. And for what? He's a master. But yeah, and then found, my men- found a mentor, Malcolm Mabutu Smith at IU. We sort of jived and had the same sort of energy, and I really respected his intellect. I remember him being, I would say, probably the second man that I had met at that point that I truly was at my fledgling state shook by their intellect, the first one really being Eric Gutjahr. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant guy. I remember watching him run back in the day because he was the cross country and track coach and stuff. Mm-hmm. And man, he was a gazelle too. It's just great, great guy. Got me into 70s prog music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just a champ, right? He got me into actually, because I was taking his like AP psych class. He's the one who got me into all the psych stuff. Nice. At a point where I thought I was like, you know, too cool for school. That unfortunately hit me a little early. I had him for math. Like that was, I was always like pretty good at math. And and so I, I ended up never never pursuing it beyond all I needed for the degree I I sought out. 
uh, at college. So Shut I just kind of like done. Over. Well, it, that wasn't much because it was a liberal arts degree. So I, yeah, I just yeah. kind of put it away and realized later that yeah, I, I think it was actually substitute teaching, and he was still at school and knew that I was around and was like, hey. I'm trying, I'm going to be gone for an extended amount of time. Will you like, you could cover for me. And I was just like, uh, what? And you quickly realize it's like, it's, it's a language just like anything else. And, you know, there was a steep learning curve getting back in, but, but it was in some senses kind of like getting back on the bike. Right. Right. Which was cool. But yeah, I mean, just his, his influence stuck with me as well. I, I, he was the first person that got me into listening to Wilco of all things like oh man yeah he 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 always had his hand in other other aspects of of like the pop culture and and just a broad influence you, you know actually can we just do this whole thing over because you know i think in the explanation of me i think you said it the best late to the game okay that is the most accurate <laughs> i mean one of the one of my like go-to mantras it has just been like sorry it took so long that i mean that's constantly how i'm feeling and and mm, even with you mm, saying mm-hmm. like you know you understanding me or knowing me being aware of me as as occupying some amount of like creative space within the the society we were in like even to me like that's so far ago and and so much of that stripped away for so long that i don't know it still feels like foreign to me and and Mm. that interim period where i just like stepped away that that sense of just like i'm sorry it took so long essentially kind of referring to getting back to some semblance of of what i formerly was or or formerly Mm. used to be a lot more comfortable stepping into the ring in that way yeah that's that's interesting It, it it really is interesting how we like compartmentalize hide away and then also like deploy our identity mm-hmm. at different times at least i'm finding it to be a very cyclical thing like i'm picking things back up reforging relationships with activities mindsets a lot too you know even the way i've noticed that my voice over the years to me not just physically like going through puberty and you know obviously it changing physiologically that happened at like but, seven for you oh me um, <laughs> that's when the group of wolves cast me out <laughs> and they, and howl speak told me I had to forge my own path. Yes. Yes. I've been howling at the moon ever since. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but I was hearing some, somebody say something along the lines of the other day, you know, in our early teens, preteens and teen years, we're all like prolific poets, right? Did you write poetry in your teenage years? Not terribly much. I, I I don't know. I, I've encountered a few that I like time capsuled on Live Journal, and the influence that was most apparent, aside from like Mars Volta, was mm-hmm. Webster's Dictionary, whatever word of the day email that I received, mm-hmm. and it was essentially just I think an amalgamation of both of those things combined in listening mm-hmm. to the Mars Volta and then wanting to imitate that by writing poetry that made no sense at all and used as big of words as I possibly could. <laughs> words that I will never pretend to understand. Yeah. 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 Oh, I I've done every different version of that, you know, from being 
I'll, I'll just lay them all out there from being like Dave Matthews, from being oh, totally. Brandon Boyd, Incubus, from being, you know, Cedric Mars Volta to Tom. I'm still trying to figure out how to not let Tom York pop in my head <laughs> all the time and be like, hello, young man. That's not what he sounds like at all. I'm sorry, Tom. You'll never hear this. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not disparaging you. Oh, gosh, no, Gabe. No, no, I'm no, sorry. No. I talk I talk too much sometimes. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess like finding your voice or just... Yeah. What What did I say? To, what did I say to you yesterday? The, the more I feel like I'm coming to know myself, the less I feel as if I'm certain about anything. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about that youthful curiosity which comes from the naivety like it, it, it can only come from that well maybe not only because I guess that that rebirth or refueling of that now that you know we're kind of getting at is is a byproduct of relearning that doubt or like renegotiating our relationship with that right because some of the stuff that we build up is is like a boundary that protects us in a way and when we're faced with something that we don't know the answer to or don't know much about, there's a sense of shame. I don't know if that's in how you've experienced that before. Or like, I know for me, it's like I've had I've had periods of having extreme difficulty just saying I don't know. And like the freedom that comes once you actually do that is I don't know. It, it, it's like a, a pure rush of just, yeah, like a, a reconnecting with that curiosity that I, I definitely have had a tendency to have just these very rich deja vu experiences of just mm. being like I I've I've felt this way before I've I've like felt this invigorated support well that's exciting though totally. right like I I still feel and this is the funny thing I still feel that amount of curiosity I think I've just learned through my neurosis, ego, selfishness that unfortunately I had my lens flipped around. So mm. the curiosity was my self-obsession, you know, and not in a productive way, not like sort of what I'm trying to do now, which is implement parameters of the discipline that you were talking about yeah. to not change you know, fundamentally who I am, but to better help guide who I am to see in the correct direction. Because we, we have to have that, like Andrew Huberman says, like the term like limbic friction. We have to have these failures. We have to, you know, come up against walls to learn how to climb, to get over those walls, those sorts mm -hmm. of things, you know, whatever analogy you need or picture. But, you know, if everything's just fine and okay from the get-go... If we're enlightened from the beginning, our, our our story in terms of it, if it were a book, is going to be kind of boring. Yeah. Page one, yeah. Clay was enlightened. Page two, there is no page two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really boring book. So yeah, so getting getting to be comfortable with that, tricky. Yeah. Taken me 30 years to get to the point to be excited by saying, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I was struck kind of with that, like, it wasn't always maybe, I, I don't know, as, as someone who aims to be creative, it can sometimes be easy to just like dive all the way into that curiosity and keep it all to myself. Or I guess that's the other side of that. The flip of it is leaning so far into that, that I no longer feel a, 
yeah, that I no longer feel capable of sharing what I view as incomplete work or, you know, something that's not quite there. And so there's, it, it like captures mm. and steals this like generativity that maybe I one, once had. I mean, you even use the word prolific and that's like probably one of the hardest things for me to like claim about myself. Well, that's a good thing. You won't have to. Right. But I guess it's like, I, I'm still creating all the same. It's just kind of stockpiling in private. And there's, you know, there's that, that gives you the opportunity to curate a bit more. Yeah. And you don't want to go too far in the direction of just, you know, releasing everything out into the world because... Throwing your dirty laundry out your window. Our, our high school journals and, and poetry attempts would indicate that it's probably not the best idea to share everything you make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unless you can, you know... It, just the different perspective of living and, and passing time allows allows the possibility of, of reframing some of these older things, the older works that at the time felt incomplete, that revisiting them now, it almost like embarrasses me to even think like, what, what was I, what did I think was wrong with this? Like what? And, you know, there's still other things that can be done, but what I can do now is apply the tools and, and processes that I've learned since then, which have encompassed a lot of different dimensions and a lot of different areas and fields and yeah i feel like as someone who's as diverse in in your exploration that seems to be something that could easily be turned into a benefit with with current projects or or future projects yeah i the governor the governor is good to a certain degree i think my terror of going several hundred miles an hour and just throwing it all out there would probably, you know, lead me to have a heart attack in a way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is a fun, it is a fun sort of challenge because you, you know, this is what this is all about, right? Like you're following an earnest feeling to connect and you have something that you're putting whatever music to words to images to you know to prove that you're here to who knows yourself to others because you just feel compelled to do it but like that's the thing with the whole prolific comment it it doesn't in the clearest sense of understanding all that stuff doesn't matter because like you're talking about, the proof is in all that pudding that you've made. You, you have like a, you know, <laughs> your refrigerator is full of pudding. Like you either got to eat it, serve it to other people, or throw it away because it's growing like a new life form on it, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, that's hard for me too, though. But, you know, I try to follow examples by people who I respect and admire. Obviously you, you know, like I see that these other formats that you use to put your stuff out there, I kind of have thought, and this is interesting, you bring up the journal idea, because I actually am kind of putting my like diary out there in a way that I realize that I just come up with so many small fleeting ideas that I'm using a SoundCloud page as a auditory sketchbook Mm. to have all of my ideas out there and just put them out in the world, throwing them out in the ocean you know, but like the weird part is that like, you know, like I've had people, who knows, they could be robots or, you know, however, mm-hmm. the the AIs and whatnots work. <laughs> I don't know any of that. But, you know, like people have like messaged me about these things. And it's just so, it's so interesting, but especially 
like you were talking about how much you've been in your apartment, like Columbus, Ohio, to you as your apartment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the benefit of being here before everything shut down, as opposed to my roommate, really. And it's just a completely different place right Mm -hmm. now. I mean, sure, there it's still New York. There's still people out. Like everything's still kind of going, but like, but like to give you an example, like the subway doesn't run. Yeah. Twenty four seven. Yeah. And in New York, that's like a, that's like a thing, you know. Yeah. That's a very significant change to the, to the blood flow of the city. Yeah. Oh. The people. So you know? I I like don't want to interrupt there, but maybe just like to to no, point. No, please do. Well, please. Specifically with this, because like my experience with New York City has always been that I have felt a rush of energy every time I'm there. That, that just comes from being there. And, and a lot of times that, that has resulted in creative outbursts. Has that been oh, different yeah. with, with everything kind of, with that energy maybe like lulling a bit? I don't know if it's because when I first moved here, it was me leaving my, at that point, what I would consider my college chapter of my life, which for anyone who doesn't really know me, was a long time, yeah. okay? A third of your like, life up until that point, probably? Like eight years of trying to figure out how to get over myself <laughs> just to finish college. So side note, as an idea, I decided, okay, so I got to prove to everyone that it's not because I'm dumb. It's because I'm just an asshole. So I take Mandarin Chinese to pass my language requirement, which for anyone who doesn't know, if you haven't had the fortune of taking Mandarin Chinese at Indiana University Bloomington, oh, if Bao Laosher is still there, she will learn you. You will have no choice. You will learn. Or you will fail completely. Um, so I did that. And then I left college and got here. And I was so excited to be here. Something new, something different. I was with my brother, um, our oldest brother had passed, you know, a couple years before. Mm-hmm. So it was really important for me to be like close to him. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, I had my loop pedal. I had my Telecaster and boy, I could just sneeze out something that got me just totally jazzed and excited. But yeah, no, up until now, there definitely was a moment where in the beginning, there was the terror of uncertainty because New York just shut down out of nowhere in a very, very big way. And there wasn't too much, at least from what I remember, of a clear, coordinated communication to everyone here in terms of like what's happening, let alone on the federal level. I feel like I don't even need to like address that, you know? So, you know, I remember even at our shop, we... My brother and I had a conversation where like we like dude we got we have to do something like like de Blasio and Cuomo haven't said anything but like we have we feel it in the air like we just know we're like oh restaurants are going to shut down like there's like you know the the rumor of the shutdown had been looming long enough that it was inevitably coming yeah. so we had a meeting a week before everything really shut down in New York and the entire staff we had a meeting and just via consensus we're like okay well we're just going to disband until we get more clear further instruction from any administration, right? Right. <laughs> Other than our own and then, you know. And then yeah, so I was stuck in the apartment just like everybody else cuz I didn't want to go outside and kill someone's grandmother I'd never met and 
I had this moment of creating a lot of work again and getting back in my studio. But then also there was like an ebb and flow with that feeling because there was also that like paired feeling of doom that would creep in every now and then and work wasn't going on. But my brother and I were still going in the shop and trying to like just do everything that we could just to keep the lights on. Right. And it was a hard, it was a hard, it was a hard time. But yeah, I would say right now I'm at another great moment of my Samsara wheel of creativity. <laughs> and I'm luckily on the upward tick of productivity. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to hear my bad sketches, you can go to my SoundCloud and listen to those and you can tell me what you think. None of them are mixed. Nothing's a long form idea. They're literally just me sitting down with my OP1 and just being like, okay, I have like a half hour. Just do something with your fingers. Just like make something that makes you bump your shoulders up and down a little bit. And that's kind of where I'm at with that. Well, even part of that, like the the saga of the OP1 was like, it just, it, it likens back to a child fawning over a, a toy. And then... Oh man, it's like the, it's like my equivalent of inheriting my brother's, you remember the big gray Game Boy. Oh yeah, the one that didn't have the color screen. Oh, I, yes, I. I will never forget. It was given to me because I think the color came out and like they had the color, and they gave it to me and like I had Metroid and I could play and I was Samus and I was dealing with the aliens and it didn't matter that there was no color. It didn't matter that it was like bigger than my head. It was just my dream come true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like the OP one for me is just like the adult version of like a Game Boy. Yeah. And you just because dive dive headfirst into that and oh, and it's so easy, yeah. you know. It's for someone like me. It's like you know, there's just a few buttons on the thing. Beep beep boop boop. You got yourself a a slapper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I guess trying to tie that like through line of like the the curiosity, the childlike curiosity, and like focus on something that you're just so enamored by and intuitively are able to just kind of like figure out how to do that well i just had to take the pressure off right like it's always been there i just had to take i had to take the lid off so that the steam could come out you know and then but like the whole time i'd just been like oh my god what if anyone hears me like singing like in the next apartment over like what if my roommate hears me playing a guitar and then i'm like wait who cares What am I, what am I, I, I'm doing this to have fun. I'm not like chill out guy. Yeah. Well, I think that's a danger of like attaching too much to any of those. It's like, you can get excited and ride that wave. But for me, it's like, once I try to formalize it or, you know, obviously it's nice to have some type of parameters, some goal in mind, some practice that you're, you know, participating in with some frequency, Mm -hmm. but yeah, where it's like, if you jump too many steps forward into it, it becomes just as much of an abstraction and it's, it becomes a means to an end rather than the end itself. Not to interrupt you, but that is a really interesting point because I feel actually you saying that makes me think of something that I've been feeling in the past couple of months actually is that I kind of wish that I don't really have regrets actually, but I do kind of wish that I didn't have the fortune of being with so many skilled musician friends growing up and them convincing slash lying to me, telling me that like I was on the level enough to like hang, right? So I had paired so much of my like young person ego identity into that. Mm -hmm. 
that for me now, that is one of my biggest hurdles that I experience of like sort of the feelings that I sort of remember having when I was that age doing that for those reasons. And I do feel a bit of like personal embarrassment. So there is this weird sort of like ego penance that I have to pay every time I like sit down and create something because there's always that head creeping in being like, hey, remember when you thought you were cool for real though? (laughs) Remember when you not only drank the Kool-Aid, you were like, oh no, guys, this flavor is good. You should drink it too. Yeah. And with this perspective now, I feel like, you know, I would have so much more potentiality because I'm so much more curious of like, you know, getting like internet guitar lessons or like internet piano lessons, you know, cause we still can't meet people in real life because like I'm at the point now where it's like, no, yeah, put me at like level one, grade one piano music theory. Like I want it as dumb as you can explain it to me. Dumb's not a good word. Cause it like makes most people feel like a negative connotation. I mean, simple. Yeah. I mean, easily, easily digestible. Yeah. Cause I just need that, you know? Yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a slow mover, baby. I want to read a lot of books, but I just do it page by page. Yeah, man, that I mean, even specifically with books, I I feel very similar. Of just like so much, so much to catch up on. Personally, I used to read when I was a kid, and then kind of again, like I think I always struggled whenever something was assigned, even if it was something I was intrigued mm. by. I just you're a rebel. Well, I didn't want to be a lot of those times, but. I found that if I read <laughs> if I read something in the context of a class, it would go in, in one ear and out the other. If I read it, if I took the time later yeah, to read it again on my own time, and I think you said something earlier of, of just like capturing some earnest, the, the earnestness of, of choosing to spend your time and attention and energy towards something. And if you can't connect with that earnestness, you're probably going to struggle through it. And that's the key for me is like recognizing what it is that genuinely compels me to to dance with it you know like it's talking with chelsea it's just like any any time i dance it's never that i set out to try to dance it's something something compels me to do it and same Mm. with same with picking up a guitar if i if you can't connect that earnestness then there is an element to it that just feels kind of forced and again, if you keep that within moderation, you know, with the Beats project, there were days where I did have to force it. And that's, that's part of the benefit of, of that rigid kind of practice. I really, like, I really liked hearing that. I really liked hearing that. Not to interrupt you for too no, long, no but I, that makes me think of... So I run not a lot to like runner people and they (laughs) blow me away all the time. But like I get around, I average around like 18 miles per week at this point in my relationship with running. And that's something I, I experienced that so much in running. Like, you know, let's be real. Running sucks. Mm -hmm. And it was nice hearing like Olympic athletes being like, no man, like, yeah, running sucks. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. So it hurts you, too. But you get to that point in running. Anyone who's ever run, you know, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But then when you choose to keep going, there's that weird thing that happens that you get into it again. Mm -hmm. And I get, like, jazzed. Like, I can get back into that, like, oh, running is a prayer. Like, the rising sun is the birth of a new day. Like, you know, I am mastering myself and 
breathing in Father Sky and like, you know, worshiping Mother Earth with my feet, like all of that. You can get that again. But then, you know, you hit another wall again where you're like, you know, if that bus hits me, it would be okay right yeah. now because I don't want to feel anything anymore. Because at least I'll be able to, to be done with this dreaded <laughs> I, I activity. Will, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. I might be under the bus, but at least I'll be all of stopped. Yeah. I always joke that the the runner's high that people talk about is the feeling of of just utter joy that sweeps over me the minute I decide that I no longer have to continue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, there is something to that of like just pushing through and and finding just a deeper level, a deeper, you know, it's something about, I mean, it's it's a victory in some sense for your own self of, of expanding beyond what you're, you know, telling yourself that you're capable of at any given point in time and it's i know you said you've you've also kind of taken up meditation more recently and like from my own experience there and talking with other people who have done it in in longer periods of time there's it's the same kind of thing of just like you can reach a point where nothing in the world could compel you to keep going there's you know anything anything other than that even if it's the worst pot like you're saying getting run over by this bus like whatever it takes to to be done sitting down and being still and quiet but you're always capable of just like waiting a little bit longer and it's kind of crazy what that sort of what that can unlock is that the meaning of the saying get out of your own way i still don't really know what that saying means but i have a feeling that might have something to do with i mean allowing yourself yeah yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't jump to the level of saying that that is the meaning of it but I definitely yeah it's certainly oh, again, I, I have no idea yeah. I have no idea what it means but I have been told a million times that apparently that is that is what I need to figure out how to do let go let yourself just just let yourself I don't know <laughs> yeah no that's true though because when you do let yourself you'll be amazed at how much you're still holding on to mm-hmm. what is what does David Goggins say it's like the whole like 40% thing like most people are just like putting out 40% of their total effort every day. Yeah. Man, that guy. Crazy motherfucker. <laughs> that guy. Oh, man. Self, self-described. That's all I can say is just that yeah. guy. Oh, boy. It's like, why would anyone, you know, willingly subject themselves to this stuff? He's enlightened. David Goggins, you are enlightened. Well, I, I think he's enlightened, not in a, not in a like steady, constant thing. I think he's enlightened when he's doing that and that's why he does it in some sense i don't want to say that too too strongly because there there's also like that brings back in the ends to a mean or means to an end kind of thing but it's like right right right. there is a recognition that like this enlightenment is not something you can be within and hold and carry it's it's a a state that you can enter into and you usually have have to do some insane shit in order to like enter into that space. I'd be interested to hear our friend Justin Kirkwood's perspective yes. on that. Yeah, definitely. He's being an in-depth practitioner of what we are very, very poorly alluding to. No doubt. No doubt. I know we're cutting up close to time, but is there... Oh boy, that was fast. I know. It's almost. I like talking to you, Gabe. I always like talking Likewise, to you. Likewise. And it's almost like once you get out of your own way, that that's another one of those. It's like that, that, I feel like I also end up letting go of my attachment and awareness, active awareness of time passing. 
Mm, yeah. I don't know if that's good conversation can do that. Good conversation if you're if you're earnestly connecting with whatever you're doing. Anything. Right, yeah. right, anything. It, I don't know, it's almost almost as if like the attachment to time is an indicator that we're not really doing what we would we're not connecting with what we would really what what our attention is. If if we have any room for attention towards time and and the passing of it, then we're maybe only giving, you know, 40% of whatever we have to give. You and my friend Jared Jellermino pointed it out to me. And it goes back to my voice thing. When you you two actually pointed it out and made me realize at first, you know, those weird things that we do that we don't know that we do, mm-hmm. but everyone else knows, but we have like a cognitive blind spot. Mm-hmm. When I am really being earnestly myself, you have shown this and Jared has shown me that the sound of my voice changes. Like the pitch of my voice changes. Is it the pitch or like the range? I that's it. I think you guys would probably have a better a, a better read on that. But from what I can tell, yeah, there is there is more range. But for me too, I can tell when I'm going into it when when it's in a higher register mm-hmm. than like my more I am I am a man yeah. sort of thing. Not that that's how I would talk. No, even even <laughs> from doing time. this, and it's like it's been helpful to have conversations with friends that I've developed relationships with but in in contrast with other interviews that i've done i do have a sense of like knowing that i'm recording and just a very like strong self-awareness and self-consciousness and yeah i I just feel like a little bit more rigid or stiff and and it doesn't allow Mm. for you know the fluidity of my full range of of projection to come out right i talk to myself in my head all day that conversation is not interesting usually though (laughs) at least i can say for myself for me because i don't find myself to be that interesting (laughs) to be honest but (laughs) yeah it was just like not to say that yours isn't because i listen to your podcast and i do like it and i've heard things that i've been like oh man wow gabe said it wow he just pulled that out of there okay great no that's not what i'm saying about what you're doing but (laughs) well that's often how it feels is just pulling it out of (laughs) lord knows where and and again it's like something about just maybe like deliberately attempting to like tune in to whatever frequency to like allow those things to come in and and yeah getting out of my own way to hopefully hopefully transmit a little bit more richly and Hmm. i i I Hmm. am often too i like too quick to edit and jump in and and judge and critique what i'm doing as i'm doing it and it's nothing pulls you out of it more than that should we have an auditory handshake to do that uh, can we do a, a distanced hug instead oh yes you can do that i socially distance auditory hug you gabe <laughs> do you end it? to you i feel it i feel it as well i may or may not be oh, hugging man. myself i was hugging myself <laughs> Oh, man. Clay, thanks so much for taking some time. And let's do it again, because there's so much that we didn't even come close to tapping into. Gabe, I appreciate you. Well, right and I mean that you. as sincerely as yeah, I can. I love you, too. All the love to you, brother. Well, thank you again for checking out another episode of I Don't Know. I appreciate all of the support and all the forms it's come thus far. I know I mentioned a few episodes ago that I was considering moving away from video, and I think for the time being, that is ultimately the the decision I'm making. So I apologize to anyone out there who's, whose preference is watching these up on YouTube. There's a whole lot that goes into it, and, and for, for the time being, I think it makes more sense for me to just focus on the audio version. So 
It'll still be available wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like it, subscribe, and leave leave a comment, leave a rating, review, or whatever they call them. I guess that'll help out. But yeah, thanks so much. I look forward to continuing this with more guests and some more solo episodes as well. Until next time, I still don't know. Thanks. Thanks.